Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Unheard, the channel that exists to challenge herd mentality and promote independent thinking wherever we can find it. I'm Freddie Sayers. So over the past year and a half of COVID-19 pandemic, of all of the somewhat strange and surprising heroes and villains that have come up, perhaps the most surprising is the Swedish state epidemiologist Anders Tegnell. He has been a epidemiologist and part of the health agency in Sweden for many years. And suddenly, because of his recommendation not to have a mandatory lockdown, not to close schools, he became to some an international hero and to others a villain. And that conversation has been fraught and heated for the past year and a half. We spoke to him last in July 2020, right at the early part of the pandemic. And his message then was, judge me in a year. He said we should catch up with him after summer 2021. And at that point, he felt he'd be able to say whether the Swedish policy had been a success or a failure. Well, true to his word, here he is. So the last time we spoke was in July 2020. Uh, Things were looking very good for Sweden at that moment. It was before the winter troubles. And you said, judge me in a year. So it's been a year and a couple of months. And here we are. What do you now feel the world should think about the Swedish policy? Has it been a success or has it been a failure? I think over this year we have, I think most of us understood that that question is very, very difficult to to tangle out. If you compare Sweden to many other countries, we can see that different kind of measures have had different effects in different countries at different times. It is a very complicated pandemic and it's very complicated to completely understand what has worked well and what hasn't. Uh, I think the big change since we talked last time is really the vaccinations. And there we really found the tool that's going to make the difference. Uh, and all the other things we have tried is not going to be very important anymore because Reaching and, and achieving a high vaccination, which I think is the one way we can get out of this pandemic. There does not seem to be any other ways, really. I feel like you might almost be being a little bit modest there, Anders, because the argument when we last spoke was really a fundamental one about whether this disease could be fully suppressed, contained. Zero COVID was the objective of a lot of countries and a lot of policymakers in Western countries. And 
it seems to me that since then, fewer and fewer people are arguing that, and it seems less and less possible, in which case, something closer to the Swedish model maybe is the only route. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And, uh, and I think we try to argue that from fairly early on, that this is the disease we have to learn to live with. Uh, and you are definitely right. More and more countries are taking that position because even with a fantastic vaccine, the way we have it, uh, we can we can control it, but we cannot eradicate it. Uh, and I think that's the difference we need to understand and, and live with. And, and then we need to look at it in a different way. We have to, have to accept, I think, a certain level of spread in the society. We probably have to accept there's going to be a few cases in our hospitals with COVID-19 in foreseeable future. Just like we are accepting a few cases of flu or a few cases of many diseases uh, that we cannot control completely. One other thing we've learned, you mentioned the vaccines, is that the very high hopes we had at the start of the year that they might uh, put an end to transmission completely have not really happened. The new variants and so on mean that people are still transmitting even though they don't get seriously sick. Do you think that changes the argument about vaccination, about whether it should be mandatory, whether whether it becomes a sort of social duty? Do, do you think, has, has your view changed because of that? Maybe partly, not not really because I think there's still a social duty to get vaccinated because by getting vaccinated, you, you do diminish the spread quite a lot, even if you don't stop it. And you do protect the people that do not get the complete uh, coverage or complete safety from the vaccines. So it, there is, a, I think, a society uh, part of it still. But you are right. Uh, there is a, the aspect that the vaccines this time seems to be very, very efficient at stopping people from dying or getting seriously, but not as effective as we are used to vaccines being in stopping the spread of the disease. That means that we need to reach much higher vaccination levels. We need to be a lot more focused in our vaccinations to risk groups and things like that. So we need to handle these vaccines in a slightly different way. And we also need to have ex expectations in a different way. This is not going to be measles that we can basically eradicate with vaccines. This is a disease that we can control with a vaccine, but not more. So at the end of this month, on the 29th of September, Sweden is going to pass its stage four of releasing restrictions, which means no limits on numbers in restaurants, private parties, concerts, those kinds of things, and no stay at home or work from home advice. What gives you the confidence to be able to do that? Uh, I think several different things. I mean, this is the sort of last step down the ladder that we are taking now. We have taken this in steps. And we have watched the previous steps very carefully, has not changed the spread very much, uh, maybe a little bit sometimes. And we have during this time also increased our vaccination coverage to, to high levels. So we really do believe that we have sort of created a safety net we need to have in place to be able to do this. And, and the step is not that great. Uh, I mean, it's great for certain sectors of society, but on the whole, it's not a big difference to, to the way we used to live. So I think that there is no real reason to, to see that we have an enormous change in the, in the transmission just because we take another step down the ladder that we really need to take to keep our society to stay functioning. I mean, there's very little left by way of restrictions, aren't there? I mean, um, your neighbours in Scandinavia, Denmark, um, have 
almost declared the epidemic over. The, the, the legal position is that it's no longer a critical threat to the country. Do you have the same view? Is it no longer a critical threat in Sweden? It definitely has the potential to be a critical threat again. So I think we have to be extremely vigilant. We have to really follow the development and, and not least on the local level so we, that we find these outbreaks and, and really can contact trace and test people very quickly. So we don't get new big outbreaks in different parts of the country. And we, we do know that we have certain white spots on our vaccination maps with, with certain areas where the vaccination level is still not really up to the level it needs to be uh, to contain this in a, in a good manner. I, I can hear that and understandably after the last year and a half, you are very cautious about making prognostications about what's going to happen in the future. But what is your sense of the, the coming winter? I mean, how, how big is the threat in Sweden and what would a sort of worst case, best case scenario look like, do you think? No, but I, I really do believe that we're going to have a much easier winter than last winter uh, because really 95-96% of the people that really got badly hurt last winter, uh, they are now vaccinated and they have a good protection. And I think we have every reason to believe that that protection will last through the winter. There might be groups that need another shot. We have plenty of vaccine and resources around that we can give them that so we can keep on protecting them if the need arises. Uh, so I think, yes, we're going to have a spread of the disease during the winter. We're definitely going to see a few cases that's going to need hospital care, but we know we're going to be near what we were like last winter. So it's going to be, I think, a time to understand and to learn what is COVID-19 going to be in the long run uh, for society and for our healthcare, so that we can adapt to that in a good way. I mean, I'm getting a tiny bit of deja vu, um, Anders, because when we spoke a year and two months ago, I also asked you about the winter. And, and you said then that you were optimistic because you thought immunity was more widely spread than in other countries, that Sweden would fare better in the winter. And, and that didn't happen. Uh, Sweden had relatively quite a serious epidemic in the winter. Do you feel that you got that wrong? Yeah, I mean, the, the potential to, to spread was bigger than we expected. I agree on that. So, a lot of countries got a lot worse hit than we did. I mean, if you look on excess mortality, for example, uh, Sweden did not fare very bad at all. I mean, we four or five from the bottom in the European Union. Uh, but there was definitely a need of a much higher level of uh, immunity in the population that can only really be achieved uh, by vaccination to control this disease in any reasonable manner. That's definitely true. And, uh, we didn't see that then, uh, but we learned. So you've just, I should say to our viewers, you've just moved because we were getting a, a sort of sunshine halo around you and you need to uh, preserve the sunlight there. Thinking overall about the Swedish experience, do you feel that there are aspects of culture and of the broader life that were better preserved in Sweden than they were in countries in Europe that put lockdowns in place and had a more draconian policy? It's always difficult to compare countries. I mean, we start from very different levels and so on. But, but of course, I mean, restaurant business, hotel business and so on could keep on running in Sweden. Uh, I mean, I know there are failures to, to a higher extent than in many other countries. That's, that's for sure true. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, what that will mean in the long run I think that remains to be seen because now I think it's only now that we really can understand the the long-term effects and probably we don't really understand them for another year or so uh, on both public health in general and, and economy and other things so it's a bit old to, to exactly say what, what this would but sure I, mean, I think when you talk to Visita who is the sort of organization that organizes restaurants and, and so on in Sweden they are still reasonably happy of, over how they managed to handle the situation during the pandemic. I guess I'm sort of asking about culture more. Do you feel that, you know, what is your analysis of why Sweden did take a different path? I know that that difference can be exaggerated, but fundamentally there was no mandatory lockdown, which there was in almost every other European country. Is that just a kind of to do with the fact that you were in charge and it was a technocracy decision or is it something to do with the Swedish culture do you think? It's definitely something to do with our basic legal system for this kind of uh, for communicable diseases which very much builds on the responsibility on the individual <clears throat> to take care uh, and not to infect other people and I think it was out of that that many things could be done uh, because that was the tradition it could be do- done voluntarily and that people are really also listening to that because there is a high level of both respect and trust between the population and the and the government and, and the agencies and that's why we could get quite a lot of impact on doing things on a voluntary basis i think that's one aspect the other aspect is that the legal system we have in place forces us to focus on areas where we really can see that there is a high level of threats, so to speak, where there is a high risk of transmission. And that's why we moved into regulating restaurants very strongly, 
and left other parts of the society more open uh, because we really perceive, okay, it's in the restaurant, we see a lot, we don't see a lot of disease spread in well, young people playing football and things like that. And we definitely don't see a lot of spread in the, in the, in the schools. And uh, I think that's also, that's another part of the reason why we could stay a little bit more open than, than other countries. Is that one of the things you're most proud of, keeping the schools open? Yeah, still. I mean, we know that has been a problem. And when we ask Swedish children, they have definitely been affected by, by the pandemic. But to a lot lesser degree than, than children would have been if we had closed schools. So I think that's the thing. And I think a lot of countries also have followed on that and uh, managed also to follow on it, which I think is very good. And if you look at the global level, I mean, the United Nations and many others point to children's being out of school is maybe one of the main uh, disasters that this pandemic has created. You've been at the centre of the storm. Here in the UK, and I think certainly in America, it's become this huge political battle. uh, And it's become really quite nasty over the past year and a half. Has it felt like that for you? Do you feel like when you're walking down the street, do you get people sort of doing thumbs up and then also people shouting abuse at you? What's your experience of how, how divided it's been as a policy? I'm probably not the best to, to discuss politics and the different parties. have, but, but I think when I read different articles and so on, it's been reasonably peaceful in Sweden. We haven't had a huge divide like in the United States and other places on if you should put on a mask or not put on a mask, because the, the politicians have been fairly much in agreement what we are doing, even if there is the usual criticism of the government, of course. I, I would say when I look at my emails, they, they are different. I mean, some of them <clears throat> think we're doing stupid things. Many of them think it's fantastic what we're doing. Interestingly enough, when I walk in the streets, it's only thumbs up. Uh, and that's You haven't had any know. abuse? No which is interesting, maybe show something about Swedes being a bit not really liking confrontation very much, but uh, right. reasonable amount of thumbs up, I would say. So personally, were there moments during this? I mean, for example, the last winter when cases were climbing so rapidly, we had a man called Friedrich Erli on this program who said Sweden was facing disaster within 10 days and there was talk of hospitals needing help from Finland and all sorts of things. Were there moments when you thought, have I got this right? Do I need to change course? Not really. And that's mainly because it's not really me. I mean, we have a group of people discussing this continuously. We also have a lot of contacts outside of the agency uh, with other experts uh, where we discuss this continuously. And I think we were fairly much in agreement that, yes, uh, we didn't sit still. Uh, We kept on doing more and more things. To, to try to stabilize things. And, and we saw that they had effect. Uh, of course, we would have been much happier if we didn't see the, the high death toll and, and the crowded hospitals, but uh, we managed to keep it in, to keep it into some kind of reasonable level. Uh, and I think in the end, do understand that we did the best we could in the situation we had. It looked from the outside that there was a moment when the government kind of took control more. And it, we saw less of Anders Tegnell and the Prime Minister was there. This is when he and he was talking in quite serious language about how people should try to stay home and should not go to the gym and things. Was Did something happen around that winter time when the government took control? 
I mean, from my and agency's point of view, no, not really. Uh, we came into a situation where we needed to have measures in place that the agency didn't own anymore. So the government needed to step in and, and do those legal changes, the pandemic law and other things that were needed at that time because the measures we had used earlier uh, did, were just not enough during the fall. As you also said, uh, the spread was much more rapid than we had thought. We really thought that the measures and the immunity we had in place would dampen it, but it didn't dampen it enough. So we needed more things in place. Uh, and that's where the government stepped in. Uh, so that was really no nobody who really stepped over anybody else. This was done in, in a, with a lot of dialogue and with a lot of agreement that now we need more people to step in to, to get the right effect. At the same time, we also moved the other way. We also managed to, to get the regions and the communities to step in and work a lot more because we needed also to, people needed to hear this from a lot more voices than just from the agencies. Uh, and I think that was necessary at the station. We were all very happy with, with that because it was needed. So if we, if we zoom out and think about this as you as an epidemiologist, as a scientist, what are you worried about in terms of the people's attitude to future pandemics, future threats? Do you feel like the, the kind of basis of what is considered acceptable has now changed and that let's say there's a serious influenza epidemic in two years time or a new COVID-23 or whatever, do you worry that the default will now be shut down society? Yes, because I really hope that we can sit down and do some serious analysis of what we learned during this time so we can really sort out what kind of things do you need to do in a certain time, in a, in a certain context, uh, in, in a certain areas, so we can get a bit more pinpointed to doing the exact things that have the most effect, that we don't need to do these blanket closing downs because we don't really understand exactly what we need to close down to have the, the big effects. And I really hope we can we can have those discussions and have those analyses and, and see that we can move a bit further so we don't need to do these drastic things uh, as much as we did this time. And so if there is such a threat in, let's say, two years' time, and if you're still the state epidemiologist, you will have the same attitude, which is no mandatory lockdowns, rely as much as possible on people's own sense of responsibility. Yeah, and try to find out where is the disease really a problem? Is it in the bars, in the pubs, in the restaurants or a big events so that we can really pinpoint our efforts to closing down the things that we really need to close down so we don't need to close down everything. Will it be you in two years or four years or six years? Have you, have you had enough after this drama or has it given you a taste for more? I've had two pandemics. That's probably at least one too many. But, that's, but that doesn't mean you're going to resign, does it, Anders? We, we, we want to know if you're still going to be here next time. <laughs> Depends on when next time is up. I passed my, what do you say, the age where people normally go into pension. So. I understand people even have tattoos of you in Sweden. Did you, have you met these people with the Tegnell tattoo? No. no. Did you ever imagine that would be the... Uh, part of the career of an epidemiologist. No, and I certainly hope it's not going to happen again. Anders Tegnell, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Anders 
Tegnell, the state epidemiologist of Sweden and one of the biggest names to have come up during the course of this pandemic. I hope he wouldn't mind me observing that in his manner, perhaps we get a hint as to why Sweden took a different path. So measured, moderate, careful, unlikely to get overly heated, that perhaps gives even a better clue than anything he could tell us as to why Sweden took such a dramatically different path. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. So thanks to him and thanks to you, this was Unheard. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.